Welcome to the Two Sales Guys podcast with your hosts, Sean Whitley and Matthew Sopiers. What's commonly talked about are the tactics and methodologies for sales professionals. What is less commonly talked about is the stress and anxiety that comes with being a seller. Each day, sales reps are asked to take rejection after rejection, operate in a world of uncertainty and high pressure, and either fail to hit their number or get a higher quota the next year. We'll talk about how to cope with these pressures and what a winning sales mindset really looks like. Sales is often called a performance business, and we'll explore how stress can drive bad selling behaviors. And alternatively, we'll look to experts on how you can manage your mind and wellness first so that you're putting your best foot forward every day at work. We'll talk to professionals in the industry who share the same experiences and what organizations can do to create a healthy, winning sales culture. Hey, Sean. How's it going today? Man, it's a great day in Puerto Rico. Great day in Puerto Rico. Um, We're excited to be here today. Um, We've been interviewing quite a few folks over the last couple of days and, you know, we're super excited to get this content out to the audience. As you know, we're talking a lot about the different elements of stress and pressure in the sales profession. And one of the things that we touched on in our first episode, one of the reasons we ended up starting this whole podcast was because of the current situation with COVID-19. I think it's increased the amount of stress and pressure that people are feeling in this profession. You know, I think there's a couple different ways that it's impacted everybody. First that we'll talk a little bit about today is just the economic impact of COVID. Obviously, companies are struggling to make it through this. There's still no line of sight into when we'll get back to the way things were before. And as a result, businesses are feeling more pressure and putting that pressure on salespeople. You know, we were doing some research into how companies think about quotas and forecasting, and we'll talk a little bit about that. As a result, we're seeing that, you know, people are working more than ever. I think in our business, particularly, we see more productivity than we ever have as a company. And and when we look at individual metrics, but we're certainly seeing that over time, as months have passed, it's starting to burn people out. And I think that, you know, another thing that we talked a little bit about as a coping mechanism for stress and pressure in sales, being able to be physically present with people and, and go through it together with your teammates and talk to them about, you know, the things that they're going through and, you know, and just making it a bit more fun. That's also been since removed as we're all working remotely. So, you know, we just wanted to have a general conversation around, you know, how COVID is impacting the, the, the profession and how it's increased the stress and the pressure. I think, Sean, you bring an interesting perspective on this one just because, you know, you have a couple kids at home. And I think this is something that a lot of people are probably struggling with is how to manage the children that may or may not be in school. They're, you know, homeschooled and they're right by your side. And then, you know, work, working every day not knowing when to cut off because now there's no clear, I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to come home from work. So maybe we could talk, Sean, like a little bit about that. Like what's the experience been like for you? You know, and you were physically present in an office, you know, four days a week for years and years and years. You just started working remote this year, I think was like your first full-time remote gig, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, changing jobs at the end of February, starting the new position the first week of March, it was the exact time that COVID was really taking hold in the, the states here. I mean, that was the week that Trump issued no travel to the EU. Um, it was supposed to be my week onboarding in 
in uh, Belgrade. So it was just interesting timing and transitioning in the first place from like an office to working from home was something I really wanted and thought I'd be more productive. As you said, I'm not sitting in the car for two and a half hours each day that I could be being productive. But I didn't realize that I'm going to be jumping into having kids around me full time. I mean, the management of just trying to figure out a routine of virtual school for my daughter who's six, and then a four-year-old son who doesn't understand the concept of daddy's not home to just play games with me all day, (laughs) right? That's been like a big uh, learning curve for him and myself. And so you've got me, a working professional, my wife's a working professional, and we're both trying to do our due diligence around like doing a good job and being a good parent. And like, I mean, it's, it's, it was a challenge at first till we got into like a routine. I don't understand how there's single parents out there that can do this, man, or people that can't afford any sort of like childcare, which I already know is like with COVID and all that, it's kind of tricky to even do childcare because you're inviting somebody into your house and, you know, all those kind of crazy things. So not even just talking about the work pressure of being home remote. But yeah, there's an added layer there. And I don't even have doors on my office. So that makes it like impossible to lock them out. I've felt that pain being on calls with you and little Shane and Shai come in and, you know, it's hard because they're, they're going through this too. And, and, you know, they're trying to figure out this new world where they're stuck at home every single day. And um, I think it's, I think it's difficult. I certainly empathize with the professionals out there that are trying to manage their work work at home balance life with uh with the children and and other things that need to happen has there been any changes in your routine i mean like you went from the remote work already pre-covid right like there was a period of time where it was normal in the world and you were remote right i mean for a very brief amount of time i mean i was working from home every friday so i had like a routine with that and the kids Mm -hmm. were in school so it was kind of like you know, once the kids are in school, I can work full time undistracted. Now it's like, I find myself, okay, first of all, the company I work for is based in Europe. So being based in Europe allows me to like work earlier in the morning. So I'm up at 7am with the kids and I'm usually working no later than 8am. I'm starting my day. An advantage that helps me there is there's not really any defined hours. You know, you don't feel obligated to be like, in an office between nine and five, which is the common expectation, right? Instead, it's like, I'll work seven to noon, then I'll take a lunch with the kids since they're home. And I mean, this is quality time that like, I'll probably never get as they grow older and then go back to school anyway. So let's try to take advantage of it. And then I'll work in the afternoon and kind of wrap my day around like 4pm. And what we've come into a routine of is that my wife luckily has a wedding business. And so she doesn't have specific hours either. And so that helps where she's sort of taking the the responsibility of the kids in the morning time. And then in the afternoon, when I'm wrapping up my day, I take over with the kids and then she works into the evening, which, you know, works out nicely because a lot of her clients work during the day. And so then that's the time they're also available Mm. for calls. So it kind of works out nicely, um, which again, is just the luck of my situation. Like I could have easily been dealt a completely different hand that we're both working in the normal nine to five time frame, and I have no idea how we could do it. So we've just been very fortunate in that regard, but um, we've had to find that routine. And I think that's one thing as a sales professional of just finding your, your weekly routine, whether that's blocking out times to commit to certain tasks. Like it's always about creating some sort of system. And mm. this was just a whole nother beast in itself. 
Yeah, we we don't have children at home. But I think over time it started to wear on us, Mondays especially. There's just no real like break, you know, clean break between weekend and weekday anymore because we're home every single day. Yep. And it just all starts to feel the same. And, you know, our desks are not too far away from where we enjoy on the weekends. And, and I think everyone has this problem, even with an office, you know, it's still a few steps away from where you sleep. And I think that's the part that's been a little bit monotonous for me as it relates to managing this thing. I think we've been able to, you know, we're very fortunate to live in a place where we can go to the beach. And I think we're, we do a pretty good job of taking time at least an hour or maybe two hours a day to try to walk or sit out on the beach and read. I think that's been useful. And, you know, obviously things like exercise have been really, really helpful, but it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts people over time. Because again, as I said, there was a massive increase. Multiple people I've talked to that run sales teams have told me that their teams are more productive than other ever. Um, but I think as this thing's drug on, they're starting to feel that folks are burnt out. One example I can share in our business that's you know a pretty good indicator of that is we leverage Slack and Basecamp. Slack for you know communication, as everyone knows. Basecamp for communication as well. And we have these key culture channels or projects across both of those platforms. So we have a recognition channel that we use. We have a a happy hour project on Basecamp every Friday. And uh, when we started, the utilization of those was pretty significant, you know, and people were really engaged. And we saw a lot of people getting involved and recognizing over time the utilization of them has significantly decreased just in a few months. You know, it sort of wore off. Hmm. And um, that's a result, I think, of people being kind of burnt out on the, you know, those things just aren't the same as that physical connection. And we we were thinking about, you know, what we could potentially do to change that. There's not a lot of great solutions. You know, it, it almost comes to the point where those things that we've tried to do to build culture remotely become more of a chore than something enjoyable. And I certainly felt that way, like, how many cocktail photos can I post every Friday afternoon before it's just the same shit? You know, and I think it's valiant efforts by companies. I see companies doing really neat stuff to try to help with the whole remote thing. But, you know, I still don't think we know how this is going to impact and burn people out. The longer it goes on, you know, I think the worse it's going to get. You know, I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about like how companies have changed the way they think a little bit. And, you know, fortunately for us, we were already working remote a little bit. And so our comfort level with remote working was already pretty good. And as a result, our trust is high. Um, I think those two things go hand in hand. When you're used to working remote, you have to trust your people, right? And for a lot of companies, they went from running their entire business physically to being remote overnight. <laughs> Trust isn't something that you just turn on. Yeah, uh, I think it's that's probably one of the biggest things that companies struggle with is how do I ensure that our team is still productive, right? And so the things I've observed and, and when talking to friends and, and other folks in the industry and in the sales profession is there's much tighter controls on things like there, obviously there's metrics, there's daily standups. I know like a lot of companies now are forcing daily standups, uh, which I think again, like we implemented as well, but over time 
it starts to burn people out a little bit, you know, because normally most sales teams aren't running like daily standups in an office, no. um, at least in my experience. But, you know, all of a sudden now you're forced to get on the phone and update everyone for 15 minutes every day. And it's fun in the beginning and then it starts to burn out a little bit. The interesting thing is expectation setting about availability. There's Slack status updates that you can make. And I think we initially thought it would be good to let people know that like you're on lunch <laughs> um, or that you're working out. You know, the question is like, are you expected to be at your desk from a certain set of hours just like you were in the office? Because I think that's how a lot of managers thought about this. Oh, definitely. Um, and I don't know like if you have any observations on that, but to me, it doesn't say a lot about the company trusting me when I have to mark if I'm going to lunch. I mean, imagine if we were physically in the office. That's the same concept of me having to walk over to my fucking manager's desk and say, hey, is it okay if I go to lunch right now? Yeah. And I've seen it even at our company, you know, where like there's been like more junior managers who like if someone's not available, they freak out a little bit. And the person ended up like stepping away to go make like a coffee or whatever. But all of a sudden it's like we can't physically see people, you know, and I think that's like the part that a lot of people are probably struggling with. Yeah, it's like an expectation of always being available and that's unrealistic even in an office setting. To your point, like how many times have I just walked downstairs at the office to like ask somebody a question? In the meantime, you've walked over to my desk to ask me something and I'm not there. It's not like you're going to my boss immediately and saying, where's Sean? Where the heck is he? Like he's not at his desk. It's like just because now we're remote, it's like this invisible I don't know how to, to describe it, but it's like that expectation is completely morphed into something unrealistic. I mean, I get like there's a higher expectation for people to like always be able to deliver, but that doesn't mean that because I'm not available that I'm slacking off. You know, like it's like in, in this mindset now, it's almost like there's just two extremes. There's nothing in between. It's either you're working so hard they can always get a hold of you and they know you're always at your desk working or where the hell is he like he's not working he must be you know jipping us or gaming the system or some shit right you know the reality is not that i feel like if i had to sit down and log my hours i'm working more than i ever have yeah i think that's the case for a lot of people yeah and then that's also the problem you have with the the burnout is like I find myself working early in the morning and then of course I let my wife take over. But then once the kids are in bed, I find myself on the computer again, taking care of other things. So I'm really working, you know, the early mornings all the way to the evenings. And then the days just blur together, like you said, because there's no physical separation between office work and home leisure. And it's just like, what day is it today? I mean, I don't know how many times I've woken up, my wife's woken up and been like, (laughs) Is today Saturday or today's Tuesday? Like October 58th. <laughs> exactly. We're just lost. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it, it creates this weird dynamic between management and the team now. So I think one of the topics was around like how managers have become more micromanagers than they ever were in an office setting. Yeah. And they're really scrutinizing every little KPI. And a lot of times those KPIs in this type of situation with COVID aren't accurate KPIs to be measuring. I mean, one of the things I wrote about in a LinkedIn article had to do with dials versus actual calls that you held. Because most of the the phone number systems we use to dial out on have office numbers, but nobody's in an office. Mm. So just because I make 100 calls dials doesn't mean I'm actually being productive in any sort of way. In fact, it could be an actual waste of my time versus measuring the specific KPI around 
I had five calls today, like actual conversations, even if they were, we're not interested, you know, fuck off, whatever. I had a conversation with a person and I know I can reach them and that number's good. That's a different metric to look towards the right, you know, pipeline momentum. And so I think managers need to like adjust their focus and not scrutinize on the things that may be obsolete in this particular situation. Yeah. Oh, and I think expectations just, it's, it's one of those things that is really tough because there's so much pressure for companies to continue, continue to deliver. You know, I think pivoting your business, focusing on the places that are going to be more successful, you know, those types of things. I just don't know if it's a fair expectation for really any industry, any company to expect the same type of outcome this year that they were coming into the year. Um, I know there's probably a lot of managers out there that'll say, well, no, our business is growing. (laughs) And I mean, sure, there's going to be pockets and industries and products that are going to sell really well right now. But it doesn't mean that that's still the same thing that was happening prior, right? Like your business still has changed. And I think like just, I don't know, from a manager perspective, I've tried to practice a little bit of empathy and let people know that we're going to do our best to, you know, take care of our people and get through this together. Um, You know, I think you start to operate with micromanagement, you know, people feel like they're not trusted. It's just going to deliver more burnout, you know, and I don't think that's really the outcome that we're trying to drive. When Sean and I started out on the Two Sales Guys podcast, we had to do a lot of research and there was things that we had to learn about in order to get this to the point that we're at today. With that, we had to do a lot of digging into technology and tools to help us create high quality podcast episodes. One of the bigger challenges Sean and I had was that we would be remote um, and separate from recording all of the interviews and episodes for the Two Sales Guys. Doing research and testing out a few different platforms, we found that Squadcast.fm was the easiest to use and offered the best functionality for our needs. It allows us to record each of the individuals involved in our episodes into separate high quality wave format files. It just makes it really, really easy for editing and cleanup later. Also allows you to store those files in the cloud. And we certainly recommend others who are starting their own podcast or just looking to record remote interviews to check out squadcast.fm. If you'd like to get a seven-day unlimited trial, go ahead and visit the two salesguys.com slash squadcast. How how is like the management like with your company? Has it been I mean, you guys were physical office, you were remote, but there was a physical office for your company there. I mean, has there been anything that you guys have done differently from a management perspective to try to adjust to the new world? Yeah, I mean, the team that went from an office to remote, they definitely started a lot of the happy hour, the gatherings. We had more focus on team meetings, not dailies, but definitely there were two like sales team meetings a week. So it was a little bit more than the usual once a week. I mean, I don't know. I think we were one of the fortunate ones that our industry, you know, is is doing much better during this time because everybody going digital now and consuming more services online has really benefited our business. So it's tough to give a perspective that I think would apply more generally to everybody else. We're kind of in that that lucky category. Um, but I mean, remotely, like it's just been more focused on the deal progression. I'd love to get a perspective from like the SDR manager around how that's evolved because 
again, it's all like outbound numbers and how many emails you're sending, how many LinkedIn messages, how many calls and all that. And I'm sure that's changed. And I actually don't know how we've taken that approach any differently or if it's been the same and maybe we should revisit that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've always simplified the metrics that we look at, and it's always been very clear what expectations are week over week. We have weekly activity metrics, um, and we didn't reduce them or increase them. We do practice a lot of trust with our people in the first place that's instilled in our culture. Doesn't mean that we didn't have a little bit of a, a an on-ramp when it came to like fully remote. I think it was like, okay, how do we do this? But, you know, for the most part, we reminded our team that, hey, like we still have the same types of activities that we need to do in our jobs. And, and I think that's helpful, right? Like, because people are going through big transitions in their lives right now on the personal side of things, professional side of things. And I think showing them that we are stable, calm, and going to continue to focus on the things that, you know, matter in terms of producing results, I think was helpful because we didn't, we didn't say, all right, like, oh, we need to account for this whole thing and increase our activity metrics. <laughs> you know, I just don't think that's really a fair way to look at it. I think like an interesting thing for us to talk about in like future episodes is, you know, if companies reduced quotas, you know, we, we were looking at an economic study on sales targets and revenue targets. And I think in this survey in particular, they interviewed 136 companies based mostly in the U.S. It was companies, I'd say like a large concentration of organizations with at least 5 million up to 500 million in revenue. A pretty decent split across selling to SMB, mid-market and enterprise. But what they were surveyed on was had they adjusted revenue targets or forecast for 2020 as a result of COVID-19. I think a 26% of those respondents reported they adjusted them down by 25 to 50%. The other interesting number to call out here was 20% of the respondents didn't change their forecast at all. Now, it'd be interesting to dig into that 20% um, in terms of, was that because they are in an industry that they didn't need to change quotas? Or is it just the company saying, you know what, like we have to figure this out and we're going to keep our targets the same. I read something interesting. Um, we may need to like search for someone in Salesforce or Microsoft that they removed sales quotas for this year. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And we'd, it'd be interesting to get the details on that in terms of like, okay, were they going to pay everyone out their full OTE? And that's how they were going to look at it. Like those companies obviously have the advantage of being behemoths. And so maybe they can do it. But you also have to think like, dude, those are like serious sales cultures. I mean, yeah. those are, those are the, you know, those are machines Yeah, <laughs> and they have their shit dialed in. And so if that's true, that's super interesting that, you know, two big companies like that said, you know what, this year's fucking crazy. We don't know how this is going to impact us. It's happened so fast. Let's remove sales quotas and um, and I, it'll be interesting to see how that nets out. What do you think, like, what would the impact be? What do you, like, if you went, if your team, if your company, whatever went and said, hey, we're going to reduce out sales quotas, you know, or reduce them down or, or not have them, like what the impact might be? I mean, I think it, it really has to do with just taking care of your people. You know, from a management perspective, we already talk about all the stress and pressure that the sales guys feel that they're just going to lose their job if they don't hit their quota. And now you put them in a nearly impossible situation where spending is down, 
people are concerned that if the businesses you're trying to sell to, if they're struggling with their sales and revenue, they can't even pay their employees. How the hell are they going to buy new services? So how am I going to make any sales? I mean, again, it depends on the industry, but that's a scary place to be as a seller. And so then it's like a company says, we don't want to lose our people because of the economic situation has nothing to do with their performance. And we feel like this will, will come out of this at some point. And we don't want to have to like rehire people and take a gamble on somebody new. So I feel like giving them that peace of mind that they know they're not going to get let go because they didn't attain their quota during such a unique, unprecedented situation. I think that's the right step to do in terms of retaining your talent and letting people know that you care about them as humans. Like we're all going through this together. Obviously, people at the top might have more money and be able to be flexible and go rent that yacht to stay out on the water for three months and not get you know any exposure to COVID or anything like that. We're not all in that situation. But if there's anything I can do to help my team feel a little bit of relief, um, I would love to do that. I mean, we're not in a position to just like pay out everybody's OTE just because like those companies probably are. They can financially afford it. But also, I don't know. You're right. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're like, we're paying a minimum. They gave them different objectives, yeah. you know, like MBOs or something like that as a way to say like, hey, we'll pay you out if you're doing the right things. Um, but we know that outcomes might be different. I mean, similarly, back to the the survey that you were quoting, I'd be curious to know those 20% that was the increased or kept there. Didn't change it at all. Didn't change it. Which is fucking bullshit in my opinion. Like, I don't mean to interrupt, but... The world was messed up <laughs> for it, it was Q2, Q3. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Everybody was afraid to spend money at that time because they didn't know how it was impacting their business because we didn't know. Yeah. It, it happened so fast. And so I, you know, and there, there's a lot of companies out there that'll say like, actually, you know, this was great for our business. And that's a little bit of like, they're, you know, they're trying to mentally put themselves in that. They, and that, that's also like the rallying cry for the company is like, oh, this is, we're fine. Like, this is exactly like, we're going to pivot. We know exactly what to do. <laughs> um, but it's a little bit out of touch with reality. And then I think like in Q2, Q3, pretty much any buyer in any industry is not buying shit the same way they were in Q1 because of the unknown, because they knew that the economic impact was big. And, you know, I, I think it's crazy that there's, you know, 20% of these companies that didn't change. I'd be curious to see how they ended up performing at the end of the year. Yeah. Right. Like what was their hunch of like, no, we're going to be fine. Like you said, we've got this thing figured out, uh, accurate or are they, the ones that reduced going to hit their targets or even over attain because there's that less pressure on the sales organization to perform and somehow they figured it out or are these 20% that kept it the same going to be fine. I'd, I'd just be curious to follow up survey. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, certainly we can, we can look into if they're releasing more, they do some of these surveys pretty frequently. I think, you know, to close out the episode, I don't know, my takeaways from all of this, you know, there's personal takeaways, there's professional takeaways. I think as individuals, having some sort of routine is important. I think being able to step away from your desk and get outside, take a walk, work out, exercise, meditate, all that stuff that everyone's talking about. Everyone knows it. I mean, it's important. I think from an organizational perspective, we all just need to practice a little bit of empathy. You know, it's interesting. I think about like even in arguments with my significant other, there's times where someone's expressing their opinions or their feelings or their pain. Sometimes they're looking for a solution 
And other times they're looking for empathy. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of times right now, you know, as managers, our people are going through pain and anxiety and fear about what's going to happen or what might not happen if the, you know, they lose their job or whatever. And maybe they're not looking for solutions right away. They're more looking for empathy in their situation and understanding, you know, and I think it's important to show a little bit of vulnerability. You know, you can express your concerns as a business without being giving them less confidence in the business. I think that a lot of times companies are afraid to say, you know what, we're a little concerned too about the future of our business. <laughs> um, and a lot of times what they'll do is just say, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine until they're not, you know. Um, I think it's important. And yep. I think as managers seeking first to understand, you know, if someone's not available, you know, you can't get a hold of them during the day. Like you could first assume that they're just fucking off and not doing their job and being lazy. Or you could maybe just try to see it from their perspective and seek first to understand. Maybe they're, you know, dealing with a situation with one of their children. <laughs> you know, maybe they needed to go buy groceries or whatever it may be. I just think with how hard this whole year has been. It's important to practice empathy. The one thing I would give advice on is have that confidence in your, yourself and your skills as a seller that don't let the pressure of this situation or these, you know, adjustments to quota or non-adjustments to quota, like stress you out or bother you. I mean, we've talked about getting in our own head a few times and how that like imposter syndrome like sinks in and and impacts your performance. And that's the one thing during this time, we can't have anything weighing us down or negatively impacting our behaviors and our abilities. So um, have that confidence to know, like, look, I've been through all kinds of crazy, stressful, complicated deals. Obviously, if you if you're new at sales, it's, it's something you'll learn over time that just have that self-confidence to know, like, we're going to be fine. I'm going to get through this and just work hard to make sure that it actually happens. That's the only advice I could give outside of all the other things you talked about with the routine and, and you know, getting workouts yeah. in and mental health and stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't think we need to get into like tactics and methodologies. There's enough people out there that are talking about, you know, shifting uh, the mindset, talking to customers differently, focusing on different metrics or levers that you're using to convince buyers um, to, to ultimately purchase something from you. But to me, I think what's most important for all of us to navigate through COVID Island and COVID-19 and just the, the craziness that this year has brought to everyone is, is just be human. Understand that we're all going through this. It's all hard. Um, the more we can practice empathy, the better. And, you know, hopefully we'll all shake out this thing on the other side, you know, better than we were before, because I think it's challenging everybody. But you know, for all the folks out there that are struggling, we feel your pain. <laughs> and, um, you know, hopefully there's some nuggets in here that you guys can take away and use to better manage the stress and pressure that this comes that, that comes with it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Good chat, Sean. Yeah. Likewise, man. Now that you visited COVID Island, Come take a journey with us into understanding what it's like to be the top 1% of performance athletes. We're going to speak with Gary Frazier, who's a mental performance coach and psychologist for some of the most premier athletes in the NFL, college, and the military. As always, please like and subscribe to our podcast, our social media channels, and go ahead and visit our website, thetwosalesguys.com.